We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. God says, I don't forsake my people. Aren't you glad for that? I don't forsake my people. He says, even though their land was filled with sin against me, God doesn't forsake his people. We may stumble, we may fall, we may go astray, we may backslide, we may deliberately turn to our own way, just like the people of Judah did. But God doesn't forsake His children. He doesn't forsake His children. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. It's easy to think that God will choose to leave you when you stumble or stray away from the calling He has on your life. But you are God's child, and He desires to be with you. In today's message, Pastor Dan reminds us that God doesn't forsake or leave you, no matter what you've done. What love! Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 51, for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Jeremiah chapter 51, we're nearing the end of the book of Jeremiah. We only have two chapters to go. As you know, if you've been with us in this study, the majority of the book of Jeremiah deals with the judgment of the kingdom of Judah. The first 45 chapters were addressed to the kingdom of Judah. And then these final chapters, beginning in chapter 46, these are chapters that describe the judgment of nations that were hostile to Israel and Judah. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, it says that judgment begins with the house of God. That God begins His judgment with His own people first. And that was the case in Jeremiah. God began His judgment with Judah, and then He judged the other nations. God deals with His own people first. And God deals with His own people differently from those who are not His people. Just as a parent deals with their own child differently than how they would deal with someone else's child. A parent is most concerned with their own children. God judged Judah, His own people, and now He turns to the other nations. After dealing with Judah, He turns to the other nations. And chapters 50 and 51 describe the judgment of Babylon. We looked at chapter 50 last time. And remember that God has more to say to Babylon than any of the other nations, except for Judah. In these final chapters, he spends 110 verses just on the Babylonian 
Empire, and the reason is because the Babylonians played such a prominent role in the world. They were the superpower in the world in Jeremiah's day, and more importantly, the Babylonians were the ones who came in and conquered Judah and destroyed Jerusalem, and so God has a lot to say to them. And so we come to verse 1 here, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up against Babylon, against those who dwell in Lebkemai, however you say that, destroying wind, and I will send winnowers to Babylon, who shall winnow her and empty her land, for in the day of doom they shall be against her all around. And so God, describing the destruction that will come upon Babylon, he describes it as a winnowing, Winnowing was the process that farmers used to separate the grain from the stalk. After they harvested their grain, they would spread the grain out, uh, usually on some kind of stone area, a threshing floor, usually just a flat stone area, and then they would beat the grain with sticks. If they owned an ox, uh, they would use the ox or other large livestock to tread the grain. You've read verses that talk about that in your Bible, the ox treading the grain. For example, there's the verse, don't muzzle the ox while it treads the grain. Allow the ox to eat as it's treading the grain. They would tread the grain or they would beat the grain to separate the grain seed from the chaff. And then they would take a winnowing fork or a winnowing fan and they would throw the chaff and the grain up into the air and the breeze would blow the chaff away. The chaff is light enough that the breeze would just catch it, blow it away, the grain would fall to the ground. And there was this process that they would do every harvest time. Harvest the grain and go through this process of threshing, this process of winnowing. If you've ever been down to Mount Vernon, George Washington's house, George Washington invented this threshing barn which is really interesting to see if you're into that kind of stuff. But he created this threshing barn, and it's a two-story barn. And on the second story, he had this threshing floor where he could use livestock to thresh the grain, and the grain would fall through slats in the floor down to the first floor. And that way, he didn't have to have people, servants or whatever, to actually winnow the grain. And so the barn is still there. They still use it at Mount Vernon. But in the ancient world, it was necessary to winnow the grain with a winnowing fork or a winnowing fan and allow the wind to blow away the chaff. That's the imagery that is used here with the judgment of Babylon. We see that imagery used in several places in the Bible, including in the New Testament. If you remember, uh, in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist described the judgment of Jesus saying, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In other words, John was saying Jesus is ready to begin his judgment. His winnowing fan is in his hand. His judgment is about to begin. That's why John was calling people to repent. Get ready. Get right. And here, in Jeremiah, God says he will send winnowers to Babylon. 
who shall winnow her and empty her land. He describes it, look at the verse again, he describes it as a day of doom. (laughs) And I mentioned this last week in our study, that often with prophecies in the Bible, there's a, a dual fulfillment or a double fulfillment of the prophecy. There is what is sometimes referred to as the near fulfillment and the far fulfillment. In other words, there's an immediate fulfillment of the prophecy, and then there's a future fulfillment, usually looking ahead to the last days. And that's the case with these prophecies about Babylon that we find in Jeremiah. There's a dual fulfillment of these prophecies. Babylon will be conquered by the Medes about 60 years after the time of Jeremiah. That's the near fulfillment. But the city of Babylon will not be destroyed at that time. We've seen verses in chapter 50. We'll see some more verses in 51, including the verses we just read, that describe the destruction of Babylon. When the Medes conquer the city of Babylon, they're not going to destroy it. They're going to turn it into an administrative center for the Medo-Persian Empire. And Babylon will continue to exist as a city for several hundred years after the Medes conquer that city. In fact, Alexander the Great, you've probably heard of, he dies in the city of Babylon, in Nebuchadnezzar's palace, in the city of Babylon. And so the city will continue on and will be used even beyond the time of Jesus beyond the first century A.D. So these verses that we're looking at here, where it's talking about God, you know, winnowing Babylon and emptying the land and destroying the city and all of these things, these are referring to the far fulfillment of the prophecy, not the immediate fulfillment. And we mentioned that during the time of the Antichrist, during the tribulation period, the Antichrist will establish an economic system a world economic system that anybody that wants to be part of the world economy, you've got to be part of that economic system. And this economic system, many are going to get rich through this economic system. And in the book of Revelation, that economic system is called Babylon. Babylon the Great. And in Revelation 17 and 18, we see the destruction of Babylon. It's talking about that system that the Antichrist will put in place. Much of what Jeremiah says in these chapters is referring to that economic Babylon under the Antichrist. Anytime we see him talking about the complete destruction of Babylon, that's looking ahead to the book of Revelation. Verse 3 says, Against her let the archer bend his bow and lift himself up against her in his armor. Do not spare her young men, Utterly destroy all her army. Thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans, which is you know, the area surrounding Babylon. And those that thrust through in her streets. For Israel is not forsaken, nor Judah, by his God, the Lord of hosts. Though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One, of Israel. God says, I don't forsake my people. Aren't you glad for that? I don't forsake my people. He says, even though their land was filled with sin against me, God doesn't forsake his people. We may stumble, we may fall, 
We may go astray, we may backslide, we may deliberately turn to our own way, just like the people of Judah did, but God doesn't forsake his children. He doesn't forsake his children. He never leaves us, he never forsakes us. In the New Testament, when the prodigal son turned his back on his father, and he went to the far-off land, and he wasted his life there on sinful things, even while he was there in that far-off land doing what he was doing, He was still the father's son. His father still loved him. His father didn't forsake him. And his father welcomed him back when he repented. You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. But first, here's a word from Pastor Dan. It's my privilege to share the Word of God with you through our radio ministry, Ring of Truth. Thank you for tuning in each day. Hey, I would love to hear from you. Will you take a moment to email me to tell me how these daily studies have ministered to you? I want to hear your story. You can email me through our website at calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth. God does not forsake His children under any circumstances, even when we sin against Him. Now, He does chasten His children. He does discipline His children, as He did with Judah. He disciplines His children whom He loves. He doesn't allow us to get away with our sin. Now, a non-believer can get away with a lot of things. And sometimes that can be confusing to us as believers, where we see non-believers who just seem to be getting away with everything, and we're getting caught on everything. We're not getting away with anything. Well, that's because we're His children. (laughs) And He chastens whom He loves. He doesn't let us get away with much as His children, which is a good thing. Verse 6, Flee from the midst of Babylon, and everyone save his life. Do not be cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He shall recompense her. Here he says to his people that are in Babylon, his children, run for your lives. Flee from Babylon, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He shall recompense her. God shall repay Babylon. God will give Babylon what Babylon deserves, what Babylon has coming to her. He will repay her according to their works. The Bible talks about how there is this process of sowing and reaping. The Bible says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. There's a time of reaping that comes from what is sown. The reaping, by the way, it always comes much later. It always comes, there's always a period of time between what is sown and what is reaped. The reaping doesn't happen immediately. God's judgment is never immediate. There's always a period of grace there where we can repent. But there is a time of recompense from the Lord. There is a time of repayment for what we've done. Now, for those of us that have trusted in Jesus Christ... He's already recompensed our sin on the cross. Jesus took the payment. He took the penalty. He took the punishment for us, for our sins. We've sowed, and there was a time of reaping, and Jesus took the reaping 
He took the punishment for us. So God doesn't judge us, those that have trusted Christ. He doesn't judge us according to our works. He judges us according to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us grace. Grace is what you don't deserve. And that's what he gives us. Because of Jesus, not because of anything we've done, not because we've always sown good seed, and we've always sown righteous seed, and so we've reaped righteousness. It's all because of Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, it says, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which he has given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God has saved us and he's called us with a holy calling, but not according to our works, not because of what we've done that was so great, but according to his own purposes, because he's got a plan and according to his grace, undeserved favor, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Here the Lord says to Babylon, there's a time where I will recompense her. There's a judgment coming for what they've done. They're going to get what they deserve. And of course we know there will be a final judgment at the end of the age, a great white throne judgment. And by the grace of God, we're going to be spared of that because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But those that have rejected Christ, they'll stand at the great white throne judgment and they'll get what they deserve. They've sown, and there's going to be a time of reaping. Verse 7 says, Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine, therefore the nations are deranged. In, in Jeremiah's day, Babylon conquered you know, all of the known world at that time. All of the Middle East, the Mediterranean region, northern Africa, All the nations drank from her cup. All the nations drank her wine. Now, in Revelation, when we have the Babylonian system, that economic system under the Antichrist, in Revelation 14, it uses the same language to talk about that Babylonian system under the Antichrist. It says, Babylon has fallen. This is Revelation 14.8. Babylon has fallen, that great city, Because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. All the nations are going to drink of her. The wrath of her fornication. All the nations are going to be in bed with her. Why? Because the economy is going to be so great. Everybody's going to be making money. Big time. Under this economic system. Every nation is going to want a seat at the table. They're all in. Because, you know, stock market's going up, setting records. Everybody's 401k is climbing. And they're all going to be benefiting from it. Even though it is an anti-God system. That's okay. Everybody's getting rich. They're all going to drink from the cup, kind of thing. All the nations. So it goes on here in verse 8. Babylon just suddenly, has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be, again, this seems to be looking ahead to the fall of economic Babylon under the Antichrist. When economic Babylon falls, 
we're told in Revelation, the nations will wail for her because they'll no longer be able to make money off of her. It's going to affect the pocketbook and people are going to be upset about that. In Revelation chapter 18, verse 9, I'll read it to you. Revelation 18, 9. This is when Babylon falls. This economic system. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. It's going to fall suddenly, just like Jeremiah says. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. So the merchants are going to weep over the fall of Babylon because no one's buying their merchandise anymore. The economy's collapsed. And that's why the people are upset. That's why they're weeping and and wailing. It seems to be talking about commercial Babylon in the book of Revelation. Now, look at at verse 9. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her and let us go, everyone, to his own country, for her judgment reaches to heaven and is lifted up to the skies. The Lord has revealed our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. Make the arrow bright. In other words, sharpen the arrows. Gather the shields. The Lord has raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes. This is the Medo-Persians. The Medo-Persian Empire will conquer the Babylonian Empire. For his plan is against Babylon to destroy it because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. Verse 11 is interesting to me here. It says, the Lord God stirred up the kings of the Medes to attack Babylon because it was God's plan to destroy Babylon. God impressed upon the heart of the Medo-Persian king, this pagan king, to attack Babylon. And God used this Medo-Persian king to carry out God's will. It's just like in the New Testament when God impressed upon the heart of Caesar Augustus to order a census. That declaration required all of the people living in Israel to return back to their hometown to be counted in the census so that they could be taxed, which caused Joseph and his very pregnant wife Mary to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, where she gave birth to Jesus and fulfilled the prophecy in Micah 5.2 that when the Messiah comes, he will be born in the town of Bethlehem. And here God, in His sovereignty... He impressed upon the heart of the Roman emperor to just order this census. And he got the whole world moving so that Joseph and Mary would be in the city of Bethlehem when that child was born. And here you have God stirring up the spirit of the pagan king of the Medes to conquer Babylon. God moved on the heart of a pagan ungodly king to fulfill his plan. He asked me how I know 
When you look at the book of Jeremiah at a glance, it seems like the overarching theme is judgment and negative consequence. But as you take a closer look, you're given a microscopic lens into the heart of God. Yes, there was judgment and eventual exile, but think about how long-suffering and patient God was in giving them multiple chances to repent from their ways and separate from their sin. What an amazing and hopeful picture of God's heart toward you. He is just and fair in handing out consequences to those who willfully go against what he's offering. But like a patient parent, he gives grace and mercy when you vacillate between following him and venturing elsewhere. Ultimately, God wants you to choose him wholeheartedly, and he wants to bless you. Take the book of Jeremiah as a continual reminder that God is gracious and merciful, but he'll bring judgment on those who refuse his ways. If you want to talk to someone and better understand what all of this means, don't hesitate to call us at 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We're so glad you joined us today on Ring of Truth. Feel free to study this book on your own in the meantime. In our next edition, Pastor Dan will share more from the book of Jeremiah and provide a deeper understanding of how to apply it to your life here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that craft and am what I know because I know His voice and it only takes Rings truer than the fire